Okay, we can breathe easy. The Bigfoot statue, the four-foot-tall wooden statue that was stolen outside the tiny Bigfoot Museum in Felton, California, has been found. They found it along the side of a road. (laughs) Somebody called and said, uh, hey, the statue you're looking for is on the side of the road over here. So whoever took it decided that it was a mistake. And the people outside of Henry Cowell Redwood State Park needed to have it before anyone else and they shouldn't have stolen it. Maybe some bad luck came upon them as it, as they were trying to haul it off because you just don't be stealing Bigfoot statues. Okay. But they found that out and it has now been returned to its rightful place on the planet. Welcome to chewing the fat. So, you know, Here on Chewing the Fat, we've talked about how animals were going to attempt to take back over, right? During the original lockdown, the starting of lockdowns all over, animals were starting to come into the cities because people were quarantined and people were not going out. And the animals were like, hey, what's going on here? And we talked about how animals would start, you know, attacking. They need food. We saw the monkeys in... uh, You know, the monkeys were attacking because they don't have any food and people usually feed them. So, you know, tourist season is no more. And so I see this headline about a rogue orca attack. And I think, hmm, it's kind of, I just thought, hmm, that was, that was, I, I believe, an actual quote from me. Hmm, on a rogue orca attack. And really, that isn't true at all. Uh, so, The story talks about a British sailor who uh, now has retired and he delivers boats and yachts all over the world. Okay, that's what he does. And uh, so he's been on the ocean a bunch and he said, you know, I don't frighten easily. And this was terrifying. So he's out in the ocean and he starts... (laughs) He starts... Wondering, hmm, what's going on? One of the crew members says, hey, it looks like we have some large dolphins at the back of the boat. And he looks and says, no, uh, dummy, uh, those are whales. And so the whales started ramming the boat. And it went on for several hours. I mean, they're lucky that it didn't, you know, put a hole in the boat or knock it over. And apparently, according to this man, it was the juveniles, the young ones. So the older adults were like, yeah, go ahead, ram it if you want. I don't care, those damn humans, go ahead. And then they stopped. A couple hours later, they just stopped. And he was he had called the Coast Guard, and he was saying, hey, you might have to come and rescue me. And the Coast Guard was saying, just shut down and be quiet and don't give it anything to worry about. And he's like, duh. But if it, you know, if they dislodge the rudder or penetrate the boat, it's going down, right? And that's what he was concerned about. But they were just dinging it around for the heck of it. Okay, so rogue orca attack, remember? That's the headline. Rogue orca attack. At the very end of this story, it says, the attack is one of over 40 that have occurred this year in the waters off Spain and Portugal as killer whales focus on people and boats. (laughs) They're saying that according to scientists, they think it could be revenge attacks after several of their numbers sustained injuries over the summer from rudders. So now they're saying the whales are pissed and they're fighting back. Uh, Okay, good luck. But I know it's a rogue orca attack. Uh, No, they're pissed and they're fighting back. This time, they're pissed. (laughs) They are fighting back. I mean, 
this one attack was just they were just toying with him right they were just saying we could we could sick this thing in a heartbeat i'm gonna send the kids over and let them ding you around a little bit but just know if we wanted to you're going down so i mean it's not a rogue attack these whales are attacking revenge attacks animals are pissed <laughs> and i thought for sure i thought for sure when they started talking about scientists think we're here we go climate change they're attacking the boats because of climate change nope they're pissed because uh, some of the whales got hit with from rudders okay i mean if that were true really i mean we could joke around about revenge attacks but if that were true uh man in florida manatees would be killing people left and right i mean manatees get hit a lot by rudders and uh boats so if they wanted to cause revenge on humans they would have done it a long time ago so maybe they're just you know the friendly sea cow but uh, let's hope the manatees don't get pissed. <laughs> if all the animals start to get really ticked, we are in big, big trouble. You know that as well as I do, which is why we talked about animals attacking uh, months ago and uh, gave you the heads up that it could be happening. And you may have a rogue attack in your neighborhood at any time, so be careful. Here we go again, uh, San Francisco and the most importantly cities all across America, but San Francisco, uh, politicians are considering, uh, another policy that would, uh, ban smoking inside private apartment buildings. Now, sure. You say to yourself, well, San Francisco, don't they allow people to just crap in the streets? Of course they do, but that's in the streets and those people are homeless. But if you have a home, you shouldn't be allowed to do what you want to do inside your dwelling. <laughs> Are you stupid? Uh, if you have a, an apartment uh, inside a building with other people, uh, they don't want to smell you and smell your cigarette smoke or your pot smoke. Now, sure, you could go live on the street and you could crap and pee and smoke and do whatever you want out on the streets in front of people and nobody will be there to help you but nope not if you actually have an apartment now i i get it okay if you live inside a building like that the smoke permeates everything and i don't want that either and you know that hotels have floors or sections now that are smoking and most of them are no smoking through the whole thing because it's tough to have a no smoking section of a building and have a smoking section in that building because the smoke permeates everything. I get it. I, I you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an ex smoker. I'm still, you know, it's been almost two years since I've had, uh, since I've had anything to smoke. Very, uh, very, uh, it's been a long two years. It's been a long, long, long two years. And, you know, my wantings and cravings are less and less. And we've talked about that before as well. But if I want to live in a non-smoking building, that should be up to the people of the building, right? So if I, you know, it's kind of like your HOA, right? If you don't want to live in a homeowners associated neighborhood, don't move there. If you move there, then, you know, Quit your bitching about the rules. Go to work for the HOA and get the rules changed. Go to work for your building HOA and, uh, you know, get the rules changed. But until then, if you move into a non-smoking building, that should be good enough. But not for politicians. Politicians would want to be able to set the rules straight so they can fine you and find a way to make it possible to make just a little bit more money from you, the low life that has an apartment building. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's good. I know that we have the secondhand smoke argument and all of that. And I, I, I don't care about this. Does secondhand smoke give you cancer? Does it not give you cancer? Whatever. We can have that. That's, a, that's another argument. But my argument is don't, I mean, we've, there's enough rules and regulations, enough 
rules and regulations. Oh my gosh. There's two stories out of New York, all the way over on the other side of the country. All right. From San Francisco from this weekend that I was just amazed at. Okay. Amazed at that. Uh, they talked about arrests and I've got to find the stories here. Um, one, they were both by the sheriff's department. Okay. New York city sheriff's department and they busted a party. It was a, you know, a rave party going on. I, oh my gosh. A COVID rave party. <laughs> you criminals. So they found, found out about it online and they of course busted it and they arrested 205 people who were gathered to drink and smoke hookahs in violation of city and state code. Oh my gosh. And, and, and COVID-19 rules. Now this is what really, really ticked me off about this, um, about this arrest when they talked about what was wrong with this place. All right. So they, of course, this was an illegal party, uh, pay for entry bash. Okay. Here in the COVID-19 world. So the party organizers, organizers were supposed to have a permit to distribute and store alcohol and have licensed and documented security on hand. All right. Not to mention they violated the COVID-19 rules of, you know, occupy or of, of, uh, operating at 25% capacity. And so in coronavirus orders and they were operating an unlicensed bottle club. And it just got me thinking, all these rules and regulations, man, it's just, it's got to stop. And then they busted another, a fight club in the Bronx by the New York City Sheriff's Department. They were busy this weekend. So another get together illegally here during the uh, emergency orders rules. Okay. They, this place didn't have a liquor license either. They were warehousing liquor, which they needed a, a, a you know, a, uh, rule a violation they had to have a permit for that now this place the fight club also had you know loaded firearms and you know stuff like that (laughs) it wasn't necessarily a fun get-together party i'm sure there was some illegal gambling going on as well the fight club aka rumble in the bronx but again no liquor license and uh, they were warehousing liquor and i'm sure they didn't have a permit to have any kind of gathering whether it's a fight club or not it just it's time for the rules and regulations to be done to be done before i uh, get into another story that uh, will remind you of how many rules and regulations we have in the world now i want to talk to you a little bit about fund rise f-u-n-d-r-i-s-e we've heard for years that it's important to have a diversified portfolio stocks bonds mutual funds that kind of thing but if you've ever looked at a breakdown of the most successful portfolios you typically see a diversified set of real estate So why hasn't real estate been one of the first asset classes you consider when you're looking to diversify? I mean, really, it's simple. It hasn't been available to investors like you and me until now. And that's thanks to Fundrise. They make it easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, Our friends at Fundrise have got you covered. Here's how. Fundrise is an investing platform that makes investing in high-quality, high-potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. Whether you're looking to add uh, stable cash flow uh, via dividends or prefer that long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise has got you covered. Fundrise.com slash Jeff. Get you your first 90 days of advisory fees 
waived. Fundrise's team of real estate professionals carefully vets and actively manages all of their real estate projects. And with their easy-to-use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via assets, assets update. Okay, so get started building your better portfolio today. Fundrise.com. And to save 90 days of advisory fees, use Jeff. Fundrise.com slash Jeff. Okay, first 90 days of advisory fees waived when you do that. F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash J-E-F-F. Get those first 90 days of advisory fees waived. Fundrise.com slash Jeff. So more rules and regulations. I see where Justice Alito rips the Supreme Court for not considering church coronavirus lawsuits. Uh, Yeah, that's what you're there for. His quote is, if you go to Nevada, you can gamble, drink, and attend all sorts of shows. But here's what you can't do. If you want to worship and you're the 51st person in line, sorry, you're out of luck. And he was singling out Nevada. But then we get uh, the story that talks about California setting up to reopen strip clubs before churches. Now, I'm not opposed to strip clubs being open. But I am opposed to, hey, it's okay to have strip clubs open, but hey, not churches. What? Are you out of your minds? Now, many would say, yeah, they, they are. Okay. So a uh, superior court judge in California ordered the state to end any actions that prevent the club from being allowed to provide live adult entertainment, according to the decision. <laughs> okay. Now, the owners of these two strip clubs argued that their business is, uh, illegally, is, is legally protected speech guaranteed by the First Amendment. The same argument that churches have been making about their own services. Yeah, which is why we should all be open for business. Please. I will say, and these states are locking down again because it appears that the COVID-19 numbers are going up. But I was out and about this weekend, and I live in DFW. For those of you listening to this podcast somewhere around the world, and I, and I know there's many of you, Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, But I was out and about here in Dallas-Fort Worth this weekend. And if you follow me on Twitter, at JeffyJFR, you know I commented about it. Texas is open for business. Now, I went to uh, a Costco, all right? They were two and three to a mule in this place, man. It (laughs) It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I pulled into the parking lot and it was, you know, we were looking for a a place to park. I mean, it was just incredible the amount of people in this store. And uh, I'm sure that they were following all and any rules or regulations that had to be followed. Everyone was wearing a mask. They won't let you in. I mean, whether you want to spend money or not, it doesn't matter, which is, you know, another questionable argument. But my point is, is that just be open for business. If you want to make the mask thing a thing, make the mask thing a thing. Fine. But businesses need to be open. People need to make a living. People need to be out and about. We've made this art. It just drives me insane. I don't understand the thinking. When the thinking really should be, hey, if we think that if you wear a mask, it's better for you and the people around you. But if you don't, you know, so be it. This is America. I just drives me insane. But I was amazed at how many people were out and about. And, you know, not only at this Costco, but I mean, in the entire shopping plaza area that it's part of was jam packed. And the people were in and out of uh, in and out of the two. There's like two or three different huge shopping centers in one area. And they were there. They were there. I don't know if they were spending any money. I don't know how the restaurants are surviving by letting, you know, two people into their restaurants. My father-in-law went out to lunch on Saturday and said there was like, you know, they were in this restaurant. It was really good. And they were, you know, it was really good. And there were like eight people in there. And he's like, I don't know how they can stay open. I know. And yet businesses are trying. They're trying 
So these states that aren't allowing these places to be open for business, holy cow. We are ruining lives for years to come. And it has, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Let's go to the break room. I need something really, really cool to drink desperately. Oh, that is so, so good. All right, let's take a look at the, some of the headlines here in the break room on the magazine rack as you, uh, my, one of my favorites. Oh my gosh. This is a lady was suing the university because her child died choking on pancakes during a pancake eating competition. Um, you heard about this back in, I think, 2017. Um, she was in the pancake eating contest at the university and she died. She choked eating pancakes and she died. So the mother sued the university in a wrongful death lawsuit. Okay. Now the headline is a mother of college student who died following pancake eating competition drops lawsuit. Oh, and I'm thinking good. It's about freaking time. It's been, you know, almost two and a half, three years and let's move on. It was an accident. It was part of a pancake eating contest. It was just tragic. That's all. Well, she dropped her lawsuit. Why? <laughs> That's right. You guessed it. There was a settlement. The university just paid her off. Fine. Get out of here. Just drop the lawsuit. and <sighs> Here's some money. We're sorry that your daughter died from choking on pancakes from the pancake eating competition get out now the pancake eating competition was organized by a sorority at the university to benefit child abuse in america okay she began to choke and then uh two nursing students gave her treatment and were and then uh that she was taken to the hospital where she later died and it was, you know, obviously tragic event out of something that was supposed to be fun. And how do you get a settlement from a university because your daughter just wanted to be part of a pancake eating contest? Okay. The lawsuit claimed that the university had approved the event. Yeah, it was a sorority event that they approved because it was for a good thing and they were having a pancake eating contest. Who among us hasn't been in a pancake eating contest? That's what I thought. And I never, uh, I was only in, I don't know how many I've been in, but that's another story. However, the university approved the event despite, here's where the lawsuit and the settlement comes in, despite the dangers of quickly eating pancakes because of their thickness. I'm not even, it's not even funny. Well, I'm laughing, but come on. Despite the dangers of quickly eating pancakes because of their thickness. This went on to, for two and a half years, right? For two and a half years until they finally made a settlement. Now they settled with the mom. Have a nice day. And drop your lawsuit. Now, the university, in turn, had sued the food service provider for providing, I guess, too thick a pancake. I guess. But that has been dropped as well. It's just amazing to me. I mean, you know, we talk about stuff every day. And I, and I love to be here. I love telling you the stories that we talk about. But... Sometimes it's just, it's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing the times we live in. Now, on the flip side of that, 
if your child was the one who was part of this tragic event, would you sue the university? I'd like to say no. I would like to say no. But if the ambulance chaser came knocking on my door saying, hey, we can get you a few million from the university because (laughs) they knew the dangers of quickly eating pancakes because of their thickness and they still approved this event. I might have to say, yeah, go ahead. Give it a shot. See what happens. <laughs> hey, another thing that you need to uh, give it a shot is if you're listening to this show right now and you are not a subscriber to the podcast, um, give it a shot. Let's see what happens. Subscribe to Chewing the Fat. You can subscribe on a plethora of platforms. There's plenty out there, but uh, you can choose, say, uh, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and a subscribe to Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher. And then you're, you know, you're, you get alerted every day when, uh, you know, when the new podcast uploads or downloads and, uh, you know, you just enjoy the show. I, I try to steer away from, it's very difficult to steer, steer away from in-depth, deep dives into politics. And we can I got, I, you know, I, we can, I got no problem doing it, but I just feel like at the end of the day, you know, I'll, I'll let you know what's going on. You'll have an idea of what's happening politically and you'll have an idea of what's going on socially and, uh, you'll have some idea of what's happening in the entertainment world and what's happening in real life on the streets, but it won't be so agonizing. So subscribe to Chewing the Fat. Now we've talked about pigeons before uh, on the show. And you say, you have? Well, of course, we've talked about the pigeons that Mike Tyson uh, raises. We've talked about uh, someone was putting uh, hats on pigeons in Vegas. We haven't heard any more about that. it was really funny. I don't know. I mean, it was horrible that these people were gluing these hats on the pigeons. Horrible. But, uh, so we've talked about pigeons. I've talked about how I, uh, how, when I was a little kid, one of the guys that I used to work for was a big time uh, pigeon farmer. Not really a farmer. He raised pigeons because he used them for communication. He was uh, He was a... Uh, you know, they used the pigeons for communication during different wars, and he was all for that. Mr. Wallace. So, he had pigeons. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of pigeons. I love them. However, I don't know how much I would actually pay for a pigeon. I would love to, you know, I don't know what Mike Tyson pays for his pigeons. You know, I know it You know, it costs money for upkeep, and you got to have cages, and you got to feed them, and I get it. So I find out that a wealthy Chinese pigeon racing fan. So now we are not only raising pigeons for communication and we think they're a beautiful bird with, with or without a hat. We're using them to race right, with pigeon races. Now I'm all for it. If we can strap a drone on that bad boy and watch the race, let's go. I'm for it. Or maybe we have a drone follow the pigeons. I don't know. Maybe that'd be a... <laughs> I don't know that you could actually do that. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? So, a uh, Chinese man. I'm saying man because it says a fan. I, you know, It could be a woman, but I doubt it. Paid 1.6 million euros. 1.9 million dollars. For a Belgian bread pigeon okay now you got me i didn't realize that the belgian bread racing pigeon was the one that you wanted but i guess it was so at the end of a two-week auction at the pippa pigeon center two chinese bidders operating under the pseudonyms super duper and Hitman drove up the price by 280,000 euros, $325,000, leaving the previous record that Belgian bread 
Armando fetched last year. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So they they even call this a hobby. It's a hobby and we're spending a million bucks on a racing pigeon. Wow. So I guess top breeders relying on generations of family experience can now sell their birds for prices unheard of merely a decade ago. And often China is their destination. What are they doing with them in China? What are they doing with them in China? Okay. I want to know what's going on. Now, There's that means that if we're selling pigeons, there's got to be breeders. There's got to be breeders that have are showing documented bloodline pigeons. This pigeon comes from the top racing pigeon of 1984. And then the bird was, how long do birds live? Birds live, what, 15 years maybe? Tops? Tops! A bird lives 15 years. Now, some birds will live longer. Some parrots and stuff like that will live longer in captivity. But out in the wild, what are you looking at? Maybe 15 years? Okay, uh, okay, 20. 20 years. And racing? No way, right? If you look at it in human terms, then a bird... Bred for racing would be what? Maybe ready to race in a year or two? And then has maybe a good three to seven years of racing. Right where they're the fastest and there's the strongest. So now you're up to ten years and now you've got another ten. So you've got another ten to maybe breed. If it's a top racer, you breed. I mean, I, how I'd love, I've got... We have got to talk to someone here on Chewing the Fat about bird breeding and especially bird breeding for racing pigeons. We're <laughs> we are going to find that out here on Chewing the Fat. There's not going to be another show that knows about pigeons and pigeon breeding and race breeding better than the people who listen to this show. Apparently... These particular pigeons are top-notch. And that's according to Pascal Bogdijin, head of the Belgian Pigeon Federation. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, Jeff, you idiot, of course. Of course the head of the Belgian Pigeon Federation is saying that everybody is interested in their pigeons. I know. I know. So we have got, we're going to find out what the heck is going on and why Belgium is the breeding grounds for some of the top pigeon racers in the world. Now he goes on to say that uh, pigeon breeding demands constant attention every single day of the year. He said that uh, there are now only about 18,000 Pigeon Fancier Federation people, racers that, you know, are out there. And uh, he said that uh, pigeon breeding demands constant attention every single day of the year. And to be the best, it has to be your life's work. For some, it may seem boring. Day in, day out. Winter, summer. Always those pigeons. <laughs> he's, already, he's already given up. He's already, he's already given up his life. <laughs> day in, day out. Winter, summer. It's always those pigeons. This day is a pigeon. This day for prison. So they're saying now that... Uh, and they're trying, what, they're, what he's trying to do is that people are now going to get into the business because of the money, right? And they see an opportunity to make some money. And uh, he's saying, no, don't do that. Think again, because it's not about the money. Okay, mister, I was just reading about a $1.9 million pigeon. Sure thing, it's not about the money. We have 
so much to get to and you know to talk i mean facebook uh and um twitter zuckerberg and dorsey are going before a senate questioning session again tomorrow for those of you listening live on november 16th 2020 uh i you know i guess they're going to be talking about election censorship good luck good luck we know how those hearings go all right i mean zuckerberg we already know told facebook employees biden won and people need to know the election was fair oh okay no problem so it's a done deal then because zuckerberg said so all right no problem and i'm sure jack dorsey feels the same way too we'll see what jack is looking like see if he's back from his uh you know month-long uh, retreat from yoga land and meditation land we'll see if he got a haircut and trimmed up some of the some of the beard and you know looks looks the part looks the part better than he did at the last hearing but overall these hearings are turning into the same thing uh, a couple senators bitch and moan a couple senators say what a great thing they're doing and uh we move on with our lives just the way it is we are in such a strange place in this country right now and really the world but we are in such a strange place the election was stolen now we might you stole the election now we didn't you stole the election he's a dictator no you're a dictator no i can't be a dictator never mind he's a dictator i just it's just amazing and you look at the just the headlines alone show the division because it's every other one is just completely different than the one before as just incredible place um biden wins is the dawn of a new progressive era don't get too picked up because republicans have picked up another house seat and that shows that we're not ready for that progressive america okay sure thing i believe you 100 percent. yep you got me no problem uh we're gonna have mandates all over the place are you because other states are saying nope we're not going to follow those mandates. Go ahead and try. Do your best, but we're not going to follow them. Well, we need them. Yep. Okay. That's what you say. I mean, the numbers are going up as far as coronavirus. We don't believe the numbers. Those numbers are wrong. But the numbers are going up. So they're wrong. They're being tallied wrong. Okay. The voting machines were wrong. The voting machines were hacked. Okay. Prove it. They're saying now that the army has confiscated the Dominion voting system servers that were kept in Germany. <laughs> okay. Do I, you know, am I somebody that wants to have, I, what I want to have is proof. If you have the feeling that the election isn't right, if you have that election, if you have that feeling that this election wasn't right, if you feel like how is Joe Biden stuck in his basement become president of the United States with the most votes ever over Obama and you feel that can't be right, there's got to be proof because other than that we're just stuck in the same he said she said and that's it and it's not a fun place to be but that's where we're at so i don't know what to tell you i mean you can tell me that trump is the fascist and the dictator and then you can tell me that you want joe biden to eliminate the electoral college reject bipartisanship and just do everything that the left and the socialist left wants him to do. Okay, sure, no problem. Go ahead, you believe that. I just, I, I just, I don't know where we're at anymore. I just don't know where we're at anymore. I don't. <sighs> okay, I am excited though. I am excited about being able to talk to John Douglas, the author of uh, Mindhunter. And his latest book is The Killer's Shadow. I read it this weekend. It's an awesome read. Uh, I love John Douglas. And, uh, I mean, he's a founding father. 
He's a founding father of criminal profiling and modern criminal investigative analysis. I mean, the, the behavioral science unit is him, man. He's the guy that laid the groundwork. And uh, we get to talk to him today on uh, Chewing the Fat as part of the podcast version of the show, which will give you another example of why you should subscribe to Chewing the Fat. Okay? Yeah, you should subscribe to that. And coming up in the next couple of days, I'm going to post the video of talking to John on my YouTube channel, uh, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher as well. So just remember, um, you know, I'm looking forward to talking to John and it's going to be exciting. But I want you to take with you today, uh, just remember, it's not about the money. <laughs> Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts. Welcome to Chewing the Fat. John Douglas, author. Uh, you know him from uh, uh, Mindhunter, The Killer Across the Table. His latest book, The Killer's Shadow, with uh, Mark Olshecker again. Uh, welcome to Chewing the Fat, John. It's good to see you. Good to talk to you again. I am such a fan. Uh, you, thank you for coming on Chewing the Fat today. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. So one of the things that, uh, I found fascinating was before we get into the killer shadow and, uh, start delving into, uh, how you got involved in the importance of this case, I really found it fascinating how you, you know, everybody thinks that you have to put your mind into the mind of the killer. That's what you guys do. That's what behavioral science is. But really, one of the most important things in to help keep you sane, and I'm assuming you're sane now, I don't know that to be 100% true, uh, is to put your mind into the mind of the victims, right? And that, how important that is. And that really, that struck me. I thought, I, you know, that really turned, turned my thought a little bit. No, it's exactly right, uh, Jeff. And, and, and that's the hard part, too, because the... Walking in the shoes of the victim, because what I try to do is I try to reconstruct in my mind what what the victim was experiencing, what the victim was seeing at the time, besides what the subject, what he was doing, what he was saying, and and putting it together, and then you have the you have uh, the crime scene as the end result here, and, and uh, analyzing that. But but at the end of the day, I I can walk out of the shoes of the subject, but it's really difficult uh, with with the victim. And, and yeah. I, I'll be lying to you if I said it, it doesn't spill into my personal life. I take it, I, I would, uh, take it home with me uh, when I interact with my own children and my wife. Sure. And things that I've seen. It's it's very very difficult. But you have to walk in the shoes of both. Well, look. I mean, you quote at the uh, end of this book from uh, Nietzsche about whoever fights monsters should be careful lest he thereby become a monster. And when you gaze long enough into the abyss, the abyss will gaze back into you. Uh, how is that abyss gazing back into you these days? Well, now it's okay. I'm, I'm a, I can control my life. I, I can control. I can say no to things. But, but uh, I'm much better. But uh, fans will know that that uh, who followed my my work. It, it's taken uh, its toll on me over the years. Nearly dying in, you know, '83. Even my fellow colleagues. I'm like a, a dinosaur right now. They're dying off all, all around me. Uh, my original partner, wrestler, Roy Hazelwood, another great guy, he died. Others are, uh, from the stress of it, they're physically, yeah. uh, have had issues uh, psychologically. It made me a, a better leader for them after going through what I did. I, I, I nearly died on the Green murder case, sure. went home in a wheelchair. Uh, I was out of work through five months of rehabilitation because I was paralyzed. My brain split on the right side uh, and from the, the virus I had in a coma a week wow. and, and when I came out of it. I, and then my children, when they saw me, when I came home after a month, it was right around this time of the, of the year, uh, they were shocked. Every time I would leave them after that, uh, they would cry. They wouldn't, didn't want me to leave because uh, the way I left, the way I came, I came back. Uh, right. And I was out of work five months and do rehab and then went back to work then they finally gave me the resources uh but even that, again it takes you just can't train I, like i couldn't train you jeff like in a couple of weeks or anyone it takes about two years of training someone in, uh, in this area and then about five years you're getting really good at it. like any job any job sure five years sure. it's not just profiling but then in this kind of work it could be yours too burnout you know, depends yeah. on 
on, on how you're being treated, the volume of, of the work, and this burnout. Uh, well, they and, mentioned they mentioned in the uh, the one serial killer movie, uh, Citizen X, where they uh, talked about how uh, the uh, FBI rotates uh, their men. Is that still true? No, no, no. We don't. No, or was it ever yeah. true? It was no, just a movie. Well, they ro- oh, yeah, they rotate them in the field as field agents. But my unit, if it's my yeah, my unit, no, there's no rotation there. But in the field, on the Hoover days, we rotate a lot. Now it's pretty much you can go through you can go through uh, your career maybe two offices. Uh, you know, okay. you can end up someplace and want to stay there. Uh, but and with me, yeah, who doesn't my, want to be at Dubuque? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's the thing. So, so uh, I was in Detroit. You see, I was, and it was, it was my first office was Detroit, and I got a pamphlet how to survive in Detroit. That was, and and I got there. There was uh, eight hundred homicides a year. There were yeah. places we couldn't even go in certain areas if we if we knew a fugitive was there to make an arrest because of sniping. I mean, yeah. but it was a great place to learn. You don't want to live there, but it was a great place to learn to learn this stuff. You know, so I went from there. Then I go to Milwaukee. Which uh, after Detroit was like Sleepy Hollow, but we had a lot. Yeah, no uh, bank robbers still had the fugitives, and and, uh, and and I learned a lot there. Went to graduate school, picked up a couple of degrees, and then I got hostage negotiator, SWAT team member, and then they sent me back to uh, behavioral science unit as a promotion. Before, yeah, yeah. Before we, uh, you know, get into uh, the latest edition of uh, the Killer's Shadow, did you could you ever imagine? Uh, where the behavioral science unit, you know, is today. Did you ever think back in 82, 84 after your, after your sickness or whatever, you know, at some point in the eighties, did you think this could be like it is today, like it is right now in 2020? What, uh, what, in 1977, no, it's when I came back to Quantico, they were dabbling in profiling, but by 1980, by around this time, this case here, uh, then it would start to, people could see it, headquarters could see it, and, and uh, then I got yeah. the Unabomber case, and I got the, the Tylenol case in Chicago, then from this case, we had Buffalo's 22 caliber killer in Buffalo, New York, a uh, guy was right. shooting people and cutting the hearts out of uh, uh, two cab drivers, and then we get the big one. We get the Atlanta child killings, so another big kidnapping, right. civil rights case. That was all. See, this was all happening. This is, and that's why I'm breaking down. That's why, as you said earlier, I, all this work is coming in. Besides cases you never even heard of before, and they're calling you constantly in the nighttime. And and uh, again, it's not being widely accepted. Just because a, a, a sheriff invites you out on a case, it doesn't mean that the detectives you're going to be working with necessarily want to see you. Uh, and and right. so. Uh, it was pretty pretty stressful uh, in those days. So let's uh, then you know we might as well we can get into the uh, into the latest book and uh, the uh, breakdown of uh, Joseph Paul Franklin. Uh, it was fascinating how this was uh, one of the one of the different cases that uh, you knew that this was going was you know people were looking at because it was different right it was different it wasn't uh it was different from the fact that you knew who this guy was right so it it would make it easier i don't have to kind of paint a picture of uh of an unknown subject here uh and here we know we know who it is so this is going to be an assessment of uh remember show years ago this is your life there's a show called this is your life and people be behind the curtain talking about the, he's trying to guess who it is yeah. talking about this celebrity. Well, that's what I, I always look at doing assessments. Is this is your life? You know, John Douglas, Jeff Fisher. This is and who is this person? What what are his his likes, dislikes, strengths, weaknesses, vulnerabilities? And and if you got that information, man, you can you know you can really take advantage uh, of. Uh, uh, just like Manson could take advantage of his these of his followers here, so it's the same same thing I was going to do with with Franklin. When he didn't know who he, they knew, we knew who he was. We didn't know where he was, and that's the biggie. And, he, and he's he's on the loose. He's going to probably kill some more when he gets the opportunity. He's already killed twenty now. They're putting up twenty cases together. Uh, so where is he going to going to end up? And so right. you know, I said Mobile area. I mean, if I would have said. Uh, you know, like uh, Seattle, Washington, or something like he, where he ended, or he say he ended up in Seattle, but I said Mobile. I I probably never would have developed criminal profiling. They would have, <laughs> they would have shipped me out on the next uh, Greyhound bus to some off the wall uh, city. 
But that was uh, proven uh, incorrect, John Douglas, uh, with the latest book, Killer Shadow, that you can get uh, uh, wherever books are sold. See, Jeff, with my work, it's a simple formula, Y plus how equals who. So the reason I wanted to do the interviews in prison is because we know who did it. I want to figure out the whys and hows of the behavior. Now, this is not a profile. I'm not profiling an on-sub case, unknown subject case. Uh, I'm going to be profiling a case where we know the guy, and what they're, they're going to want from me at headquarters is they don't know where he is in the United States. Am I able to do an assessment of him and predict where he may go to next? Because right now, we don't know where he where he is. So I have to do kind of like, this is your life, Jeff Fisher, or this is your life, yeah. I'm Joseph Paul Franklin. So, so I went up to headquarters, and I got boxes and boxes of information on him. And they wanted the uh, uh, the assessment done in 24 hours, <laughs> but they're also telling me, man, don't screw up this one because I'm trying to develop this profiling program. You know, I'm trying, you know, and, and not everyone's for me. Not all FBI is for me. This is going to be the first case I'm doing uh, before right. uh, for the FBI. Later on, will come a whole bunch of bureau cases. Everything I was doing was local, the, the local cases here. But if you screw this one up, you're going to be working cattle rustling cases in Butte, Montana. Well, there <laughs> so, were many people. Right? I mean, there were many people that weren't a fan of uh, no. your work uh, inside the bureau yeah. itself, right? No, you know, because you know what the, the, the behavioral science BS, right? And that's uh, <laughs> that's what. And, and what I did, what really, and, and this offended people, was eventually when I became program manager, the profiling, and then unit chief. I removed the BS. I, I went strictly to investigative support uh, type uh, uh, unit. That's the kind of stuff that we were doing. So uh, we didn't know, you know, they didn't know where he was. But but the nature of the beast is that we all have comfort zones, it, yeah, all of us. I mean, I have, if I want to relax, I mean, go down to the river or go have a, a drink, you know, somewhere, right. a bar, favorite bar, favorite stool. Whatever what, it is, what, sure. You know, have, and, and, and criminals are the same way. They, they have, and, and what you have to do is figure out their strengths and weaknesses. And, and if and if you know mine, you could you know, would know how to manipulate me. You know how to take advantage of the my weakness, my vulnerabilities. And so sure. the same thing here with him. And it's something that you just said a minute ago, which is what turned out to be true. It's that his only compassion or, or drive really uh, was towards the the wife, the ex-wife, and that daughter. And so. Everything else, he, his, he was traveling all over the country doing these killings of interracial couples, Jews. And I said, his comfort zone is Mobile, Alabama. A wife, ex-wife, a daughter, and, a, and he's a, uh, a serial bank robber. Made a lot of money knocking off banks and get, right. got away with, you know, with all of them. So that's where he'll be gravitating toward uh, next. So the yeah, that was his. That was his home. That was his home base. He felt yes. comfortable in that neck of the woods, right? And even though it was kind of weird because he would knock off banks, but also he'd go to blood banks, go to blood banks and sell his blood for five bucks with a plasma. And that's how eventually he'll be arrested. But what's so kind of so funny in retrospect is I go out with this, uh, the Bureau, okay, here's Douglas's analysis. And here we should put our resources down south, starting in Mobile and further, further uh, south. Uh, the, uh, he spotted in Mobile. He, he spotted uh, in uh and information is provided to the FBI. And uh, the agent charge, we call it the special agent charge of the FBI office, uh, contacts me. And, and he says, John, yeah, this is agent so-and-so, head of the mobile office. He was just spotted in a mobile. What bank or savings and loan will he be robbing next? <laughs> oh, well, the great corner, right? Let me get my hat. Let me put my, right. my hat on here. I said, what? I said, I can't. I can't provide you. It's like... Like we always say with regular profiling homicide, like we're not going to provide the name and address of the guy. So I said, I gave you the city. I said, you have to, I don't know where where he's going to go, but that's his comfort zone. And then he was spotted. Then eventually he meander on down to uh, Florida. And that's where he'd be nabbed in a blood bank. And then yeah. I got involved in the coaching of the, the agents. And then for the I interrogation. Yeah. I did an interview about Eight years later, with that Secret Service agent, you would think, Jeff, that the Secret Service would have had a program like mine. No, they. You would think that they had, did not have a behavioral science unit uh, back then. We had it, and then they would. I did cases for Secret Service where there were threats made against political figures, and it turned out fairly well. So 
Then they heard about our program. Then they started sending their agents down. And the agent I was with, Ken Baker, we went around the country interviewing assassin personalities. So it doesn't always have to be a political figure, but the assassin types and interviewing like uh, James Earl Ray and Squeaky Fromm and Sandra Good. Both of those two shot at Gerald Ford, Arthur Bremer, who shot uh, uh, George Wallace, and then others of that mentality. So it's not a sexual component in those types of offenders. There's this hatred, this, this bitterness, and, and anyone can be a, a victim here. I mean, you may think, you know, you're, here you are leaving, say, a synagogue, or you're, you're walking down the street, and here's the guy has you in his sights uh, just because of he knows your, you know, your, your faith a is. A believer, or, yeah. Right. A believer yes. is something he hates. It's just incredible. Yeah. And that's the thing that made was so unusual with him. And, and uh, like I said, and what made it difficult in those days is, is, and it's not really, we have the computers today, but we didn't have this computers uh, and sharing information in 80. And even today, you'll see there are pockets in the country where departments may not be sharing information with an adjoining department or the FBI, right. you know, may not share information. So this guy, Franklin, because he was moving all around, no one, and using different different weapons, uh, no one really put it together until that arrest in in Kentucky, and then they put it together, but then the guy, right. and he escapes. Yeah. Which was just amazing that someone could, you, you even think, you know, I know, you know, back in the day, yeah. uh, how difficult it would be to uh, get away, and yet these guys do. Yeah. Uh, just it was we I mean they have it's a it's a focus of I've got to get away. One of the things that I found fascinating was that uh, no matter what with the the computers and the sharing of information, whether you're you know putting post-it notes up on the wall, whether you're you know spreading it out on a on a library table, it really breaks down to you know shoe leather, good old-fashioned police work. Uh, Exactly. Most of the time, doesn't it? It's, that's right. And and uh, I, I never would oversell what I do. Never. Uh, you, you come to somebody like me after all your leads, logical leads have been exhausted. You can't beat the old, like you said, the old shoe le- leather, knocking on doors. And uh, the problem is, though, is that in some cases, you may get a case where there's just a lack of experience, a lack of experience on the part of of investigators, and what it's really a, sh- a shame that when you don't have a department like Boulder, Colorado, John Benet Ramsey case, you get a, a department that just doesn't right. get the murders. They don't get they get one a year, if that. And the last one they had before Ramsey was the, uh, it was not uh, was not solved. And so you have you have a mindset of the detective, a detective who was a narcotics officer. A different mindset than a homicide investigator, and because of the small department, what they they do is they rotate. Okay, now your drugs, now your homicide, now your traffic. So right. here you go. You have a narcotics officer. Now a narcotics officer brain brain is different because because I'm targeting say because I'm targeting this guy named Jeff Fisher. I know he's dealing in drugs. I know I know. Okay, right. this is what I got. This is what we got to do to get him. You know, we gather our, our, our team investigators around you. Now you move that mindset now over in here into a homicide, you know, then I know the Ramseys did it. I know I did it. So, and, and I know they're responsible for it. I just got to figure it out. So what happens is, is you're laying this theory. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're, theory losing, you're losing all kinds of focus from anything else. Exactly right. You, you, letting a theory drive an investigation, and you may accept some evidence to support your theory, but then you're not accepting other evidence, which right. t- it pulls you away from from your theory. Uh, so it's but you cannot. There's no substitute for good, th- thorough uh, police work. But if you don't, if you don't have the resources, my gosh, you go to federal agencies, state agencies together, and, and we've gotten much better, particularly terrorism, the domestic, uh, 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 international terrorism, uh, domestic. Domestic is tough, though, still, uh, Jeff, because when oh. you and I, we used to turn on, probably more of me than you, Walter Cronkite for the news, right? <laughs> now you have, you, have, you have news 24 hours a day, yeah. which is entertainment. And it's not really news, it's people's opinion and talking heads, sure. uh, you know, and uh, it, it's totally different. Uh, and, and now, too, someone like Franklin can click on the computer, 
find whatever hate groups he wants to belong to. There are hundreds, hundreds of them there. And, and go, go to one where you believe uh, they support your philosophy, your, your, your hatred. And the, and the person running that, that say it's a website, or the, uh, say the website, uh, that person, he or she, probably more times than I'll be he, uh, doesn't have to take any action. He just has to fuel the fire yeah. with the rhetoric and, and, and get somebody. Now, not everyone is going to be affected by what is by words here. But, you know, when they marched on Charlottesville three years ago and, and, and had marches in the city and blood and, and soil and Jews must die rhetoric from the from the Nazi party, it's hard to predict that someone in that group is good. It's good to be the now, one to break away, break away right. and drive a car into the crowd. You know, right. it's it's hard. It's hard to do it. So it's made it difficult. It makes it difficult for law enforcement. And, and you don't have the resources. And the emphasis was on international terrorism after 9-11. Sure. And today, you know, it's, it's, you know, the Bureau works over 300 different viola violations and you can only do so much. So you really have to rely on people out there recognizing uh, characteristics. Let me just give you, uh, can I give you uh, Franklin's uh, background? You know, yeah, yeah, because we're yeah. talking about the latest book, The Killer Shadow with yeah. John Douglas, Joseph, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Joseph Paul Franklin's background was very similar to other offenders who I interviewed, violent criminals. Uh, but but we have Franklin going off uh, uh, anti-Semitic, killing uh, interracial couples. But the dysfunction in the background, he was abused verbally, uh, by and physically by his father. Father's a drunk, hated him. His father would take off for periods of time, leaving the family really penniless. The mother was also very, very abusive uh, toward him as well. And here you have Franklin, young boy, playing with a shade, of a window shade with his brother, and they undo it in such a way where a spring flies out of the shade, strikes him in his right eye, uh, Franklin's eye, they rush him, the mother takes him to the emergency room, rushes him down there. The doctor says, hey, look, bring him back in a couple of months. We can save the eye, but right now it's got to heal. The mother never brings him back oh, to wow. the doctors. He loses, this is a sniper now, he loses the sight of the uh, right eye, loses the sight. You want to talk about overcompensation now. No kidding. Yeah, he will now go to the range and practice. He wanted to be a cop so bad. And when he found out, too, that... Uh, to a neighbor who happened to be a police officer, that no, you can't be a police officer. What? No, you've lost. You right. lost your eye. You have Is to have it? both uh, both eyes. And, and so you talk about this overcompensation. And then the, he drops out of school. And then he joins these hate groups down south in the in Alabama area and the American Nazi Party, the the Klan. And he realizes though that. These organizations are just infiltrated by FBI. We have informants all over the place in there. Because why does he know that? Because every once in a while we take him, we take him down. Plus, he he, he would tell me the same thing that uh, he uh, soon found out that the, uh, that there were a bunch of mostly all talk, no uh, no action. Right. And and here he is, all dressed up for the dance. He he's got to go, man. He's got to do something. And so he breaks away. He, he keeps keeps trying to find the right group, the right group, and finally, he can't find the, the right group. And he becomes well, our lone, it's the lone wolf. Yeah, it's him. That's the lone wolf. If he nobody starts, else will help, I'll do it myself. Yeah, and he, and he starts off uh, pseudo-violent. He, he's up in Maryland, and he uh, sees an interracial couple in the cars, tailing them, and then they stop, he stops and gets out of the car, and he maces them, he, he maces them in the car. Uh, but then, and he leaves. But then he realized that's not the way to do it in the future. So, and he's also learned how to make a bomb through books, and uh, uh, and and he, he gets pretty uh, proficient in making a bomb. He tries to blow up a uh, and kill a, a rabbi at his house. They're out at at the time, and the only, only thing that's killed or uh, is an animal, the, the rabbi's uh, dog. So he so he learns from that. And then he's going to go to weaponry, and and he keeps changing weaponry, but but high-powered rifles and scraping the ID off. He'd even leave the weapon at the scene. Here it is, buddy. Try to figure sure. out who did Catch it. me. Yeah, right. you can't do Catch it. Me. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, uh, you know, you and your uh, cohorts finally did, and that's uh, what's behind the killer shadow, uh, which you can uh, pre-order or just go out and get the darn thing. It's well <laughs> worth a read, the killer shadow. John Douglas, uh, thank you so much. Oh, I know thanks, you're up yeah. against the clock here. I just wanted to uh, catch you. I would love to talk to you some more. I've got 
uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, uh, if you are familiar with the latest uh, Samuel Little, the serial oh, yes. killer out of uh, yeah. you know here in Texas, where we caught him in Texas, right. and the most prolific guy now. Have you done any? No, I'd any love to work? interview him before he died, but it goes back. Sam Little goes back to to a guy. He's got all over the country. He's he's yeah. traveling. Uh, the victims who he's attacking are we call high-risk victims when we categorize them, low, medium, high, high-risk victims. So when you start doing what we call a victimology, a profile of the victim, oh my gosh, she comes in contact, this victim, with so many different men, it makes it difficult even to determine uh, the race, say the race of the uh, of the offender. And luckily it was, it was DNA. It, we never yeah. would have got him. Yeah. Or uh, the Golden Gate Killer. Right. Another one, uh, DNA. I did it when he was the East Area Rapist. He was East Area Rapist first before he started doing oh, murders. Yeah. And he he was a rapist where he'd go into a house, husband and wife, husband could be there, but he gets the husband on the floor, puts a teacup and saucer on the back, the small of the back of the husband, goes and sexually assaults the wife. If I hear that, uh, any glass break or that hit the floor, I'm going to kill your wife, you know. And so he did that for a long time. He's known as the East Area Rapist before yeah. he graduate into the homicides but it was dna uh, again that that, uh, that did it these guys you've got to be a big fan of uh, people giving their dna so we could get oh, uh, yeah. get the round from the <laughs> I outside know, I just, thank you so I, did I wanted to see my background and everything too hopefully that, <laughs> they don't mix it up with some crime scene <laughs> john douglas thank you very much i appreciate you joining thanks, me the fat today i appreciate it appreciate it thank you thanks